We are going to have a lot of fun tonight. I want to bring our guest right in. It is Kathy Cloat's guest. She is a comedian, an improv expert, a business storyteller, an author, um, somebody who's got two fancy degrees from Stanford and UC Berkeley, and uh, just a great person and really one of my favorite people and people I've had the most fun with uh, since I started live streaming. And so it's so great to have you on the show, Kathy. And I, I can't wait to see how we improv this next hour. Me too. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Back at you. Like everything you just said, like ditto. Right, we, we, right. we improv the magic together. <laughs> Hey, RJ Redden, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, both live and on the replay. We really appreciate it. Please do share this out. Let people know uh, we're going to be having a lot of fun tonight. Um, Kathy, I guess I want to start with your, your background. Did you, did you start in comedy first, or did you start in business first and then move to comedy? Or where did, and then somewhere they merged, and then somewhere they sort of separated? Okay, you know what? Why don't I just ask the question, like, Kathy, how did you get started in uh, business and comedy? <laughs> well, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, great question. Well, you know, I think I think it goes back to like before, like college, um, and you know, doing plays and writing and doing all that stuff. And then um, I took my first improv class in college, and then. After college, I really wasn't sure what I really wanted to do for business. Originally, I applied to law school, and I was going to go be a lawyer. I was going to be a fancy lawyer. <laughs> I, I was. I took the LSATs and everything, everything, and I uh, got accepted to a couple of uh, um, really good law schools. And uh, the interesting thing is I met with a couple of professors from one law school, and, the, and one of the kindest men just said to me, you're funny and you're smart. I don't think this is for you because you are just you are just meant to do something more creative and and I thanked him and he was right and so for me the journey was really at the same time it was really simultaneous so what happened was I got a job right after college and in the uh, sort of evenings and weekends I was doing comedy and I started in stand-up so I hit the local open mic circuit I was doing stand-up five six nights a week uh, and then about, you know, five, six years into stand-up, somebody said, you'd be really good at improv. Well, you know, 15 years later, I'm still teaching and performing and, and working in improv. And so it was very much a simultaneous thing. I'd work during the day, you know, do my, do my serious day job and do comedy, you know, almost nightly. And what I realized somewhere along the line, probably about, you know, eight, nine years ago is things were seeping in from my comedy into the work that I was doing, into the writing, the, the, the communications, the way that I would teach, the way that I would present, the way that I would do just about everything. And I thought, this is crazy. This is just so seamless for me because it just makes sense that these two worlds would merge. So then the book was born. But I got to tell you, to answer your question, the short answer is it was both. I was doing both mm -hmm. simultaneous parallel track. And then somewhere along the line, they mer they just sort of subconsciously became my world because I've always, you know, I grew up on comedy um, mm -hmm. and was always doing comedy and then do did comedy in college before I hit open mic night. So I think it was always kind of, I guess I was kind of, you know, wired for it. Yeah. So what's going <laughs> through my mind as you're telling me this story is that yeah. most traditional business and grad school and all that stuff takes place generally during the day or the early evening. Mm -hmm. And then comedy is kind of a late night career, right? It's yeah. the clubs and it's, you know, you don't just come off a set at 1130 and then like you're in bed at, at midnight. How were you able to balance that? And how do you still like, um, I, I imagine when you do your comedy night yeah. and stuff like that, you still have to factor in, you know, like uh, what are my commitments tomorrow and things like that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Well, when you're younger and your mm -hmm. metabolism is like fresh, <laughs> <laughs> you have the luxury of doing the like four or five in the morning. You're like, no problem. I'll get a couple hours sleep, be good as new. And it worked. Um, <laughs> As one ages, like one does, um, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, it, it is a little bit of a transition, but because so much of the work that I do 
really uses improv and comedy and everything that I do it uses truth telling. It uses metaphors and analogies and humor. It doesn't feel so disparate. But right. yes, if I'm out until, you know, late in the night doing comedy and I run a weekly show in Silicon Valley called Laugh Tracks, yes, it can be hard the next day going, okay, what, what just happened? But the nice part is, is because my work, when I started my company, I really hmm. was about how do I take these two things and have them be a beautiful mashup? It doesn't feel like I'm having to switch gears so much. Sleep, yes, I still need my sleep. <laughs> 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 I do. <laughs> now, um, from the, the, the little time that I've, I've spent around people who do stand up comedy versus those people in the business world, um, the business world, uh, you have to kind of keep things under wraps. People who do comedy tend to sit around with their colleagues and say the worst stuff about each other. And, and it's all fair game, right? And either you take it or you, you're not one of the one of the tribe, right? Yeah. But if you tried that at work the next morning, you would be uh, packing up your desk, right? Is it is it tough to kind of go into those like those different worlds? <laughs> <laughs> it is jarring. It is jarring. I'm like, it is jarring. I think one of the things that's really interesting about comedy is exactly that, is that your brain's working all day long. And mm -hmm. and anybody out there who is a hobbyist, maybe you're really good at photography, maybe you're really good at, at you know martial arts, whatever it is, you can't turn that off. And so what happens is, to your, to your point, is somewhere in the back of your head is like you're in the middle of a meeting and somebody's doing something and you're just like, Oh my God, right? The new button was invented for this moment. And like, you right. can't turn off this commentary. And what it, it is challenging. And it was very challenging when I was younger. And I, and I came to realize that I was not meant for just pure business. I had the, I had the head for it. I had all that for it, but I was not, I had the commentary and the personality that was bigger. And mm -hmm. so I realized somewhere in between that my future would involve some kind of mashup. I didn't know exactly what it would look like, but I knew that I would not be whole if I didn't integrate this other side of my life and my personality. Right. So many of us walk around, we're right-brained, we're left-brained, and we're asked in our daily life to choose as if it's a choice. We right. shouldn't have to, we shouldn't have to. And I think for me, I knew that I was gonna have to give in to the, to the, you know, the comedy because I cannot turn that switch off. Like I cannot, like, Probably at the most inopportune moments, I'm thinking of a joke to tell. And that is, <laughs> that is the hallmark of a comedian. I could be in church. My son is looking at me and I'm thinking of a joke and I cannot help it. And so right. you have to be who you are. And I, I think it for me, it was just sort of a natural evolution. But, but yeah, no, it's tricky. And when I was younger, it was really, really hard because you're not expected to be. You're not expected to be in the business world. And I think that's got to change mm -hmm. and it is changing, and especially millennials. It's really changing. Right. We're talking with Kathy Clotes guest. Uh, her website is keepingithuman.com and her book is called Stop Boring Me. And uh -huh. she takes on all the fun jargon that people use in work. There's so many creative ways to say nothing or uh, I'll get back to you later. It's yeah. it's uh, it's it's a very interesting culture, uh, <laughs> the business culture and how you try and uh, make it a little more human and help people connect more with their coworkers and their customers and their employees mm -hmm. on a human level. I want to say a quick welcome to uh, Fernando Ramirez. Michael A. Campbell is here. I saw Mia Voss and Barb Tomlin hiding. Throw something in the chats. Please do say hello and uh, please share this out as well. Uh, it's going to be a fun time with Kathy. In the second half an hour, if you would like to uh, join us and ask a question of Kathy or myself, or or you'd like to uh, make a comment on the topics we're talking about. We're just going to open it up and completely improv. Unlike yeah. this, unlike this part, which is completely scripted, as you could tell, because I we we jumped. Kathy was actually here before I was. I jumped on about six fifty nine, and I'm like, "What are we going to talk about? Never mind. Let's go. We have one minute." So, um. But that's that's kind of why I always have fun with you because I think of like the best questions to come up just by listening to you, and I think that is the essence of interviewing that's too often lost in TV and broadcasting. 
and maybe more people doing TV, broadcasting, live streaming, podcasting, whatever, could could afford to take a an improv class or two, right? Um, because it should be about amplifying the conversation and keeping it going and finding new directions and what your guest says. But too often, somebody's reading from a list and and will repeat the same question you know, repeat a question that was just answered in the last question because that was question number two. And so we go one, two, three, four, five. And that's where you lose that conversational feel, you know? Yeah. I'm a big believer that everybody should take an improv class because it's really about life skills. You know, um, getting to what we talked about before, it's like, it, it, you know, there is no, um, hey, Jessica, oh good, for, oh, good for you for starting Groundlings. Yay, do it, do it. I studied at Second City in comedy sports. And so do Groundlings, whatever you do. So first of all, yay, go take an improv class. And I think to, to your point, Ross, it's exactly right. I think most of us live our life um, this way. I'm in a meeting and somebody's talking and I'm thinking, blah, blah, blah. Ooh, candy, blah, blah, blah. Ooh, lunch, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what am I gonna say? Ooh, blah, blah, blah. Ooh, <laughs> shiny object. And it's, right, it's right. normal, it's human, we all do it. And what happens with that is that we're not fully present. And some mm -hmm. of the greatest gifts, we call these gifts in improv, is that, you know, if we can clear our mind, and it's really hard to do because we're human, but if I can clear my mind and really listen to you, Ross, you're gonna say something really interesting. And in that moment, I go, you know what? Whatever questions we had pre-planned, doesn't matter, we throw those out because right. you said something really interesting and the best that we can do in the moment is follow that thread of conversation. And that means ditching the script. Right. Improv is taking, being prepared. It's not about winging it. It's, it's being prepared, but saying, you know what, in the moment, what's so beautiful is that you said something interesting. I'm going to follow that and ditching that script. And I think it's a, it's a skill that everybody needs. Executives, mm -hmm. managers, you and me uh, doing radio or doing, you know, live video, whatever it is. We all need that ability, that adaptability. Well, I remember some of the, the best advice that I got when I first got into radio and I was hosting uh, pregame shows for sporting events. And I would have it tightly, pretty tightly scripted, you know, including the first question I was going to the, the questions I was going to ask to the reporters who joined on the phone. And, you know, the whole the whole thing pretty much down to when we threw it out to the field for the game. Right. And my program director came and he said, you know, it's fine. It all sounds good. Nobody knows that it's scripted. But what happens when things change? And, you know, the game is 20 minutes late or getting started and we have to keep it here. Or, you know, the game gets canceled or we, we have to do a different game or whatever. Or we have different reporters because the, the games we were going to cover something. He's like, just do it off the top of your head. Have a few notes, but basically, mm -hmm. you know, remind yourself what the station is and the call letters and the phone number and things like that. But otherwise, you know, and, and I still did a lot of notes and stuff, but I would find that I would become a prisoner of my notes because I would feel like, OK, I, I took the time to write about this. It must have been important. Now I've got to find a way to work it in. And, you know, part of it is like, OK, you're only going to use 10 percent. Yeah. of what you prepare based on what you need. But too often we feel compelled to work in. So anyway, that changed everything. And now when I do I do shows like this, and I, I say this meaning no disrespect at all, but I have a couple of themes in mind. We're going to talk about comedy. We're going to talk about improv. We're going to talk about uh, the business world and your book. And we may talk about those in separate sort of segmented parts, or we may just mix them all together, or we may get going on one and never get to the other ones. And whatever happens, happens. And I think from a conversational standpoint, it move, the show flows better. But I wouldn't necessarily re recommend that to people like the first time they host the show. I'd say list down uh, what you have. What, what are your thoughts from an improv, from a stand-up mm -hmm. comedy and a business storytelling perspective on, you know, my experience and how I've kind of evolved. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it really is, I, I say prepare and then know when to let go. Mm -hmm. And I think you're a perfect example. It really is about that. Um, when you, when you prepare and having a couple mm -hmm. of questions in your right. back pocket, if you're going to do something for the first time, 
have a couple of questions ready to go. That is never a bad thing. And the thing is, is I, I prepare a couple of questions and that's it. Two or three questions. So if I, when I go to do a live thing, I really don't overproduce. And that is because I know that if I overproduce my brain, here's what happens to your brain was when you over prepare, your brain goes to the script. Mm-hmm. It's really hard once the script is done to knock somebody out the script. Have you ever like had a conversation with somebody and they will not drop the script and you're trying to knock them off the script and it's like, right, 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 right. It's like ah, stop it. You're right. a robot. My robot is better than you. Stop <laughs> it. You suck. You suck. It is horrible. And I think that we do ourselves so much damage that way because when we just have a couple of questions and recognize that all it is is a jumping off point, which is what improv mm-hmm. is. All it is is that is that we're going to co-create a conversation together. And improv is all about building something together with other people. And if you learn to let go, Mm -hmm. the most amazing thing happens. But I promise you that whatever script I follow and try to force and I try to crowbar my questions in is not going to be even a third as good as what you and I are going to create real time because we're connecting in the moment. It's going to be 10 times better. It's going to be real. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. It's going to be raw and fresh. And there's no way a script can compete with that. I think people's biggest fear is that they need the notes because they're not mm-hmm. going to be good enough. And here's what I say to you. You're better than that. The notes are there just to remind you if you get lost. But right. The best thing that you can do is really give your partner that that presence, knowing that I'm listening to everything that you're saying and we're building off of each other. Because you and I, Ross, are having this amazing conversation at a moment in time. We're never going to have it like that again. You and I right, will talk right. many times because you're awesome. But <laughs> what we talk about today is going to be completely different from the next time we, we have that conversation because right. the conditions and the variables are not going to align in the same way. And you and I really need to just make sure that whatever we do, we're just so connected to each other. And I, I would just say to everybody out there listening, you are so much more than a script. Don't limit yourself to a script. You are bigger and you are bolder and you are you are more than that. Right. And there's there's really two reasons, right? Like, let's say you, you do script out some questions because you want to make yeah. sure you hit on key points and whatever. There's yeah. two reasons to abandon it, right? One, something better comes along. And two that thread has sort of played itself out and there's no point in reaching back into it any longer. It's time to steer the ship in a different direction. And those are two key things to recognize when this is so good that we need to dig deeper. And when we feel like we've kind of beaten that dead horse and (laughs) it's time to move on and it just kind of like the next subject, it doesn't mean it's a bad conversation. You just, you just feel where like, okay, this is going to get better if I go in a different direction. What makes it better, right? What makes the conversation continue to get better? Is it totally. staying where I'm at or is it going in a different direction? And am I abandoning it because I've yeah. exhausted it or because it's not moving and it's not the audience isn't reacting to it? Or am I uh, abandoning yeah. it because it was great and I got everything out of it? Or am I abandoning my next question because I, I came up with something better just from listening to you? Yeah, the latter. You know, the, the the interesting thing is that, um, you know, I guess uh, dating, you know, what you said cracked me up. I was thinking in my head, I couldn't help thinking is like, you know, it's like dating. You just, you always got to keep your options open. If something better comes along, you just rewrite that train, baby. You ride that train. And, but it's, but it's I think so- it's a little different <laughs> you know, in that situation. You know, the conversation was boring. Okay, let me no, pick up my phone and find no, somebody. No, but I mean, but, but, <laughs> yes, and yes, and the, I think that the truth in, the, in all of it is that you have to be open, but you right. said it really, really well. Um, when we're open, like if I got my questions, the thing that is that's interesting is that that presupposes that we're going to get through all my questions. But you're going to say something, Ross, that I never anticipated. And I'm going to go, oh, my God, let's follow that thread. And here's my thought for anybody listening who really, really, really wants to sort of um, maybe um, apply this to everything they do. Um, follow the energy. It's that simple. Follow the energy. You know, when I do workshops or talks, I might plan an outline, but if I sense the energy with an activity, if I do a group activity is going one way, Ross, I will ditch the next activity because I know 
from the energy being high and everybody laughing and talking and I can feel the energy climb in the room they're enjoying it they're learning they're networking they are connecting follow where the energy is going that is my best advice in comedy and life and everything well, I never anticipated that the the energy of this conversation <laughs> would go towards dating, but there it went, and so that's too rich a a, a field or a, a, an area not to pick up on. So, uh, how did how did being an expert in improv help you back when you were dating? <laughs> you know, it's funny because people would always. Here's the thing that if you tell people that you have a background in comedy or mm -hmm. improv, is it was like, hey, baby, tell me a joke. Right, right, right. And it's like you know. And it's like, it's like, you know, you kind of want to just go, all right, are you an accountant? Hey, baby, give me a tax deduction. It's like, it's like, it kind of gets, it gets a little kind of mm -hmm. weird because comedy doesn't work that way. So much of it is very much about just being in the moment and having a, having a connection. So, you know, it's funny because um, I think, I think it helped me and maybe in some ways, but right. it hurt me in some ways. Um, you know, uh, you can't help. Like I said, one of the, one of the pre-existing, I have a pre-existing condition, which my husband accepted when he <laughs> married me, <laughs> is that I'm a woman who can't turn that thing off. And right. it is a pre-existing condition. You either accept it or you don't. And mm -hmm. I think, I think the beautiful thing about it is if you are willing to go there and embrace who you are, um, you'll attract the people who are attracted to that. So right. I think it, ultimately it's a good thing, but yeah, it was, it was very, dating was very mixed. Right. It was very, it was very mixed. I think that's a human experience for everybody. Right? Everybody's different, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Jessica Payne says you are both hilarious <laughs> cracking up over here. And uh, let's talk about um, laughter and, and live streaming, right? Because, mm -hmm. So many of live streaming shows that we watch are sort of webinar style or they're, you know, we're going to teach you seven points to learn this and, yeah. you know, or they're just a straight interview, you know, let's hit, let's hit the check marks. And there are times when that's exactly what the audience wants and needs. Yeah. Um, but with so much content being pushed out there, um, it seems like if you can make people laugh and you can entertain them and then they can learn something that they can apply to their life without necessarily needing to feel like they're studying or taking notes or, you know, counting the seven points or whatever, or or just a, a form of escapism, because, you know, when you're on Facebook, you're getting content pushed at you constantly. I don't know. I mean, I think. I think there's there needs to be more fun in in live. I mean, you could say in everything we do, but I think seriously, like more laughter is going to bring more people in. Yeah, I definitely think it is. I, I think sometimes we are so it, it's tough because we're so serious, especially when we're presenting information. We have all this information and we want to get it through and we get so serious about it. And I think the thing we have to remember and step back and we always, always take stock of is that the person on the receiving end gets thousands and thousands of messages every day. They're tired, they're human, they're thinking about what they're gonna have for dinner, they're thinking about picking up their kid. There's real human things competing for time and attention. That's a very real thing. And I'm a mom, I get it. Right. And we have to just always remember that humor is probably the, the, the easiest connection between two people. It just is a, because once I make you laugh, you know, you're going to listen to what I have to say. And, and it's true. I mean, um, so my, you know, and I, and I, I always like to joke um, when I'm doing a talk or a webinar. And if joking is not your thing, then tell a great mm -hmm. story. Uh, just recently, my husband and I, true story, celebrated, you know, our, our anniversary. And we've been, thank you. We've been, we've been together for, you know, 18 years. And, and yeah. it's funny because people always ask me, they're like, Oh my God, Kathy, like 18 years is a really long time. I mean, my God, in that amount of time, did you ever, did you ever like consider divorce? And I'm like, nah, murder. Hell yes. <laughs> Many times. And the people that laugh the hardest are the ones who've been married the longest. And so you can have these moments of deep connection that your audience goes, Oh, thank God. They're going to be funny. They're going to make me laugh. They broke the ice and it's okay to have these real human moments, you know? And I, 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 I really think that people think that humor sadly is not serious enough, right. but I think actually um, 
you know, humor is too important to be taken seriously. And if you can't use humor in, in mm -hmm. the things that you do, I don't think you really build that audience connection in the way that you really could. Right, right. Now, there's one of the things that really, I think, for me makes me laugh is when somebody says something you're not supposed to say like you just said that right you're not supposed to say that you're not supposed to think that right um but like you said <laughs> it, it, there's a there's a grain of truth in it right and and yeah. it doesn't mean that's what you thought 24 7 and you've been plotting and hired a hitman <laughs> and things like that it just means there were some tough days you never got to the point where you wanted to split up or anything like that right. but there were some days where the person you know Got on your last nerve, right? <laughs> um, Definitely, and and me on him. Trust me, right, right. Yeah. And, and and yet we we live in a time where people seem to want to get offended by things, yeah. right? So it's like, you know, oh, too soon after the attack yesterday. You know, I mean, there's horrible things going on in the world, and you know, was that too soon? You know, that that whole thing, or you know. Oh boy, you're you're for for violence against you know you're for spousal abuse right. or you know whatever. Like, do you find it's harder now where where people um, people are genuinely offended, but they're also sort of offended as a tool to kind of prod you out of the way and take over center stage or take an opportunity away from you or something like that? Do you find you're more cautious in yeah. the business world and and even in stand up? Um, based on the times that, that we're living in? It's a great question. It really is. Um, I would, so there's, there's a couple things that, that come to my mind when you, when you ask that question. Um, in stand-up, things, things are definitely a little bit different um, in the sense of, you know, in our political climate, there are certain things you cannot say. Um, it used to be that comics would joke and then they'd hide behind, oh, it's just freedom of speech. Well, it is, but there are consequences. Freedom of speech has consequences. So you cannot, from a comedy stage, use that as a pulpit to, uh, uh, you know, pronounce, uh, whatever speech that might, people might go, okay, that's questionable. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think there's a hypervigilance today, especially in the right. political climate we're, we're living in. Yeah, I definitely think that. And, in, and maybe it should have been there more because people got away with more. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, there's also a hunger more than ever, more than ever because of the political climate. Here's the, the, the other side of it is that I think people are hungry for truth tellers and comedy Absolutely. is about the truth. We see fake news. We see people denying things. We see people saying, oh, the media's out to get me, whatever. Um, there is such a hesitancy to say the truth. And I think now more than ever, I'm seeing people come up to me and I'll talk and I'll say something and people come to me afterwards and go, you, I laughed so hard when you said blah, blah, right, blah, right. because we're, we're feeling this hypervigilance and we never want to say anything. But the problem is, is if no, nobody ever acknowledges the truth, then a couple things happen. We've made it, we've made it not okay for everybody to feel a certain way. And also too, we've denied the reality of it. And, and what people really want more than anything and business storytelling is the same as comedy. It's all about the truth and people want to hear somebody say and give voice to the truth even if it's coded in humor right somebody give the truth and i find audiences are actually really receptive to humor if it's clever and i think that's the question is it can't right. be humor that's pandering it's got to be humor that's smart and if humor's not your bag never fear right Tell a story. Tell a story about right. a time if you've got a point to make. Tell a really powerful story. The most important thing people want to connect with you on is they want to go, does he or she get the truth? Are they willing to tell the truth? Mm -hmm. If you're willing to do that, honestly, I think you have people really riveted to what you're trying to say. Right, and, right. You know? And I think even as you move it away from, you know, the larger culture or politics or whatever. Yeah. Even in business where people are very buttoned up and they're very afraid to tell the truth. Um, I, I have a colleague who who says, you know, 
eh, just just throw it out there and admit it's an area that you're weak at or you haven't done before or whatever. Yeah. It, you, you'll probably get the opportunity or win the client or the deal because in an environment in which nobody tells the truth, at least that's your competitive advantage, right? Like, it, you know, not yeah. saying that, you know, you, you throw all caution to the wind or whatever, but where, when everybody's spinning, the person who just says, this is what it's going to cost. This is what I'm good at doing. This is what I won't be able to help you with. Um, that person may win the deal over, you know, 18 people who give convoluted, you know, presentations that, that go in circles and don't say anything. Right. Yeah. And they know nobody's perfect. They know problems, business problems are complex. They know <laughs> no one person or firm or whatever can solve every single issue. So when people pretend uh, they often lose credibility. And the person who says, hey, I can do this. I can't do that. Um, hey, at least we know they're probably telling the truth about what they can do if they're willing to admit, right? Remember the, the, the job interview question, they used to always be like, what's your biggest weakness, right? <laughs> and, and for years, like career centers taught people to say something like, you know, I care too much. I work too hard. You know, like I can't turn it off. I work 24 set. Like I'm a giver. Right, 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 right. Like I, I just, I care about my work so much that sometimes I forget to take lunch or whatever. Right. right. Like, like the company's going to go, Oh my God, that's horrible. We can't have a dedicated person who forgets. <laughs> it. Right. But then at some point, like things change. Right. People actually want, if, if you don't give a real weakness, obviously, yeah the less essential that weakness is to the core yeah. responsibilities of the job, the better it is. But it should be something that's a real weakness now. And you should show how you're working to improve on it. And that's how you, you turn it around. But um, it's funny how that advice, which, you know, is kind of almost emblematic of where a lot of things have gone. And, oh, wow. and now it's like the competitive advantage in, in interviews is often this, the candidate who will say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not good at using Excel or whatever. I, I still do my formulas on a calculator. Yeah. And you're like, okay, as long as you get them done, we, we really don't care. <laughs> I, so well said. I, I really couldn't say it better. I, I, I really think what's missing in so much of everything we do is the truth. You know, we're, we're inflating our, worried about our clout scores. So we manipulate our followers to our follower, you know, follow to follower ratio because we got to maintain a clout score. We can't engage because that will lower our clout score. We have to use seasoned. We have to have an innovative and seasoned, you know, uh, person on LinkedIn in our headline. I'm sorry, is the market big for an unseasoned and non-innovative person? Do we have to actually say that? Like, but it's like, give me a break, right? We're just so filled with these the, this puffery and this, you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm sorry. Do I have to say that I'm a trustworthy bank? Is there a big market for shitty, untrustworthy banks? Because that's what I was looking for. I mean, it's just comical. And I think we're desperate. So much of it is puffery and, and, you know, we're trying to keep up with everybody else and we've created this artifice. And I think what's, what is probably the, you're right. The biggest advantage when I talk to people is there's a hunger for just say it the way it is. And if you can be that person in an interview or in a, in a, right. um, in a talk or whatever, and just say, look, let's just have a, can we have a human moment here? Right, you know, Joan, right. Joan Rivers, can we just talk? Can we talk? And if you can have that be the first person to just give the, you know, the honest answer of, you know, no, I don't care too much. You know what I'm really bad at? I really, I can't help it. I crack up on conference calls when people come in 20 minutes into it and they're like, their dog's barking and they're like, hey, could you, could you stop everything you're doing and just catch me up on what I missed? Yeah, just for you, Bob. No, we can't catch you up on what you missed because you called in 20 minutes late, you moron. No. It's, unless you're the boss, then they do that the for boss. you. But <laughs> you can just have these layer moments of just poking fun at the stuff we all do and we're afraid to say. Honestly, people will trust you. You increase your credibility, you increase your connection because people look at you as the truth teller. And, and, and I think that has always been the role of great business storytelling and always been the role of great comedy is what kills people on a stage, what, or excuse me, what, what makes them kill from the, from the stage. Um, 
And kill is a good expression. You know, what, what makes that show kill is that when people perceive that you are completely vulnerable and you are being who you are and you have a strong point of view and you are telling it like it is, right. there is nothing better. So I, I say embrace that. You know, maybe we just have to maybe watch our language about <laughs> what, how we're going to say it. You know, right. that might not be the day to go to your boss and go, you know what? That tie looks like garbage. That just does not mm-hmm. work on you. But you know, I've had bosses that were really loud and wore really loud clothing and, and, you know, they'd be, Hey, how's my shirt, Kathy? And I'd be like, what? I can't hear you over your shirt. I, what? What did you say? Mm-hmm. It's okay to have fun. Lighten up. Everybody needs to just lighten the F up. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, one of the things when people go into, I don't know, did you see Larry David's monologue on Saturday yes. Night Live? Yes. Uh, the biggest crime is it really wasn't funny. I thought like maybe you thought it was funny. I thought there were parts of it that really weren't funny. Like had it been sort of funny in a humanizing way, I think people might've been, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not for censoring or anything like that. I just think that, it wasn't that funny. <laughs> it, it, he's been better, you know. I love Larry David. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't one of his better. He's been on he's been on uh, SNL before, and that wasn't mm-hmm. that was wasn't one of his better ones. But he's yeah 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 <laughs> okay. Um, but, I know yeah. it's it's the industry, right? You don't want to you don't want to <laughs> throw snowballs. But you know, but I hear what you're saying. I think I think Dave Chappelle did a much better job after the election when he came on SNL and talked about how people felt. Right, you know? right. Yeah, yeah. But I think he, Larry, went into some areas that we generally don't go into in comedy. And you know, perhaps if he did them in a way that made you sort of laugh, and then then it sort of loosens the tension about that stuff, right? But well, when it's not funny and it seems sort of cliche, I don't yeah. know. Well, it depends. It really depends. I think that that's always a tricky one because um, what some one person might find offensive, um, another other people will find refreshing that they went there. Right. I'm always I'm always a big favor of going there and seeing where the envelope is because I think most people live their lives, Ross. Here's my belief: mm-hmm. they never test where the boundary is. They they're so far away from the boundary because they're playing it safe and they're very risk averse. And I think honestly, we have more latitude than we think we do. Right. Now you can get away with certain things, a if you're funny and you're truth telling and you've got credibility. So you know, in comedy, we always say, look, if you want to poke a, poke fun at the club, you got to be a member of the club. So right. I can say things about women that you could never ever get away with. Right. And I'm serious. Like like the worst. I sit on a lot of boards, and honestly, the worst thing to happen to all female boards are uh, all females. <laughs> Because women are the worst thing to happen to all women boards. It's like, hey, let's just wait for Sandra. No, we can't do that without Sandra. No, we got to wait for Charlotte. Oh, my God, they went to the bathroom. They'll be here in 20 minutes. Oh, my God, we can't do that. Oh, my God, remember the last time we made a decision without Sandra here? Oh, my God, we can't. I can say that mm-hmm. in a way you can't. So I think it's okay to have fun and to poke fun at the realities we're all thinking. But you got to be very careful about context. Mm-hmm. Are you a member of the club? Is there a point to it? Are you right. making a social point? So don't shy away from it, but be very careful about context. And, and that's, that's not for the faint of heart. If you don't have comic comedy training, I still think that it's okay to um, tell a story. Some mm-hmm. people are great at storytelling. And then if that's your jam, go do your jam, right, you know, right. whatever that is. I, I don't think being a member of the club always gets you a pass if yeah. everything yeah. you do is to make fun of the club or like yeah. if you're never there for the team, then you don't get to bust on your teammates, right? This is true. This is so true. That, I think there's a lot of things going on there with that that SNL thing that you know. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But you can kind of say things as a member of the club if you are a member of good standing. If you're a member in good standing, you can say things that other people would not be able to say, you know, um, and, and, you know, in a, in a way that people will hear versus thinking, assuming the worst possible thing, you know? And so I think you have to, you're right. You have to be a member of good standing in your club to be able to say those things. But that doesn't mean that, you know, I think people shy away from from jokes for that reason, and we're we're so we're so um, uptight. But you can do funny jokes in business without ever touching on any of these touchy issues. Right, right. 
Talk about the stuff that happens in meetings that we all do. You know, talk about the stuff that we all hate. Like, you know, all the emails. You know, I don't know about you, but you know what bugs the crap out of me? When somebody emails me and then they call me five minutes later. Hey, did you get my email? I just sent you an email. I'm like, why are you calling me now if you just sent me an email? You know, you, you can make fun of the stuff. There's so much fodder, you know, Ross, you and I both know this. Why are um, you sending me an instant message when yes. your desk is on the other side of mine to oh have, a, to have oh. a meeting at three? Can't you just oh. turn around and say, let's my meet God. at three? Yes, I'm going to text you that I'm going to call you and say, hey, you know, I just got I just email, I just I just messaged you. Did you get my message? No, I'm sorry. I didn't get it. I, you know, um, or the people that are on their text phone in the restroom. Like, what is so damn important, lady, that you cannot put it away for 30 seconds? I'm just going to passive aggressively flush the toilet 20 times. Put your phone away. And I think there's so many things that human beings do that is that are funny. Right. We all do it. Then you don't have to, I think, go to the places that are sketchy or weird, or maybe mm -hmm. just if you don't have expertise, just don't go there. But make fun of the truth. Comedy is all about pointing out the truth of everything we all do. We know we do it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so fundamentally human that if you can find the five things that we all do in business, right. you can poke fun at that, you're golden. You're just golden. Some great people joining. Welcome, Claudia Santiago, yeah. Doug Cohen, Brad Friedman is here, uh, Mitch Jackson, good to see you, Jeff C. Um, let's see who else. Anthony Loyola, Jessica Payne, hopefully still with us, Mia Voss, great. Uh, all the way back to uh, Michael A. Campbell and Fernando Ramirez and R.J. Redden. And if nice. I didn't mention your name, please do throw something in the chat so we know you are here and also please do share this out if you haven't uh let people know we're going to be having fun for uh, a little while longer yeah. so this is this is a, a real pleasure talking with kathy Cloat's guest she's the uh author of stop boring me her website is keeping it human.com and let's talk about the book because you get into uh corporate speak and business storytelling and you know, the title says it all, right? Stop boring me. Um, talk about how the book can can help people and help businesses be more more human. Mm -hmm. The book is really a guide to disrupting patterns. One of the <laughs> things I it, it's funny. I sat down to write one book and then I wrote another book. Another book came out. <laughs> I birthed a completely non recognizable baby. What happened? Um, but it, it it does have my eyes. It does. Um, I think, <laughs> and it has my mouth. I, I think the really important thing is that, you know, it's really, we fall into patterns. We all do it because we're human. And if we fall into the same, doing the same thing over and over and over again, it's no different than if we never cleaned our glasses. If you wear glasses and you never wipe, wipe them clean, you start to get a film and it coats the way you see the world. So this book is really about disrupting patterns um, so that you can see ideas for for products and services and for storytelling and content, all these different ways of looking at the world. And so much of it is is sort of colored and I, and I think um, colored and, and informed by my background in improv. It really is about how building ideas with other people on a stage I've been doing improv for 16, 17 years. I teach. I teach on weekends. Um, I coach improv. I use it in my work. Um, it's how we build scenes with other people. Well, what if we took that same yes anding and group idea building and brought that into work, Ross, and yes anded our way into better ideas? Mm -hmm. And that's a whole new way of thinking for a lot of people because most people, yes, but. We yes, right, but each right. other's ideas. Oh, my idea is better than yours. Yes, but. Yes, but. Um, and I think that because they said yes, that you don't hear the but after it. But I said yes. I said yes, your idea sucked. Didn't you hear the yes part of that? Um, yes, no. that's interesting. But, you know, it but would be better if we... did <laughs> my idea. And I said yes. So yeah. this book was really about taking all these concepts <laughs> in a nutshell and disrupting these old yes, but patterns of thinking. So... Um, we would love to improvise with you guys. Um, I threw out the uh, link in the chat. It's the pinned comment. Uh, you can join us in the lobby here on Be Live uh, by clicking that link, and we can bring you on to 
ask Kathy a question or make a statement related to this topic, or frankly, we like to improvise. So whatever you want to bring to us, we'll, we'll roll with it. Well, yes, um, Andy. Talk, talk about how, a little more about the yes and. I'm, I don't know if everybody's kind of familiar with how that works. Yeah, great question. So yes and is really the cornerstone of how scenes are created in improv. It's, you know, a, a group of us go out on stage and with an audience suggestion, we are building something in real time together with no net, no script. But the way that we're able to do this, one brick, what we call one brick at a time. Somebody will make an offer. We add on to it. And so yes and means I accept your idea and I'm adding on to it. I'm yesing it, accepting it, and adding on. Um, when we yes but each other, scenes go nowhere. In <laughs> brainstorming, when we yes but each other, idea flow goes nowhere. When we yes but each other in sales meetings, it comes to a halt. But we have a cognitive bias as human beings to yes but each other and to say no. We look for the reasons to say no. Mm -hmm. And so improv fundamentally is about that yes and. And when we yes and each other, we're going to have so many more ideas, so much more idea flow. We're going to create amazing things with other people. And that's really what I think the beauty of yes and is, is rewiring our brain for positive outcomes. And, mm. and, and we're going to see so many different things we never saw before. Now, when somebody actually has a really bad idea that would be destructive to the company, I, I guess at some point you have to stop saying yes, and right? Well, here's the thing about that. I'm glad you asked this. I'm, I'm so glad you asked this because I get this question all the time. It's a great one. It's like, Kathy, if somebody created the most craptastic idea, do I got a yes and in? So here's the thing about yes and. Yes and doesn't mean you're writing the check for that idea. It doesn't mean you have to go build that idea. But yes and is a way of saying to the other person, I hear you, let's explore. I don't want to shut you down. Because the minute, if you and I are in exploration mode, Ross, and the minute you give a, an idea and I think to myself, well, that's a turd. Um, I'm going to spray perfume <laughs> on this turd. And I'm going to say yes, but, or yes and, we should still do my idea. We really haven't explored your idea. Mm -hmm. So what yes and is really at its highest level, guys, is this simple. Doesn't mean we're gonna build it. Doesn't mean we're gonna do it. It means yes and I hear you. Let's see where this idea might go. It's all, it's non-committal. It's just, you know, you're not marrying the idea. You're just taking it out for a few drinks and showing it a good time. You may <laughs> or may not call it tomorrow. No judgment. I don't know what you're gonna do tomorrow. Right. Let's, for the moment, explore where that idea could actually go before we judge it. Mm -hmm. Does that include like when somebody asks for a raise or asks for more money or a bigger off? Yes, and yes, I mean, yes. like, do you do you still yes and like even questions where you know you can't deliver on what they want? I do because here's what it says to the person on the other end of it. And think about it this way: the other way to think about it is that it's not jerking the person around. It's saying, "I hear what you're saying, and it's important to you." It's validating that person. If you came to me and I couldn't give you a raise just yet, and you mm -hmm. and just just role play, you know, we're we're right. in a, a startup and we're t we're limited on cash. We have cash constraints. And Ross, Hi, Kathy. I've been working here for yeah. three years and uh, profits are up. We're growing yeah. our customer base. Social media is going crazy about us. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I deserve a, a 20 percent raise. Yes, and you do because you've been working your butt off and I've noticed. Uh, yes, and we we are constrained right now. However, are there other things that we could do in lieu of cash? But if I say yes, but I shut I shut you down. And what yes and says is, yeah, you're right. I hear you. You have worked your butt off, and you deserve better. So I think at the very least, what I want people to know is that yes, and doesn't mean you have to do it. You may not be in a position to do it. But if you explore other ideas for trying to hear that person, make that person feel validated. Mm -hmm. I promise you it'll change the dynamic of a conversation. And you don't have to literally use the words yes and. If yes and don't sound palatable to you, don't worry about it. Try, okay, well, that's an interesting idea. Tell me more. Or I'd like to hear more about that. How, how, how else might that work? How might we? How might we explore that together? The, all of those things will open somebody up to say, I hear you. You're important to me. Your point of view is, is valid versus the yes, but, right, you know, right. but 
No, no, no. Yes, but um, the minute so, we but it just we just shut somebody down. So what I, what I think I'm hearing you say is like even when you can't deliver on what the person wants and they may be absolutely deserving and right to ask yeah. for it and everything else, it opens the door to creative solutions that that can you know okay yeah. maybe you can maybe you can telecommute one day a week or maybe you can have an extra week of vacation or you know yeah. maybe you can become fully uh, a part of our benefit like how can we maybe c compensate you with something else you would like if we can't you exactly. know raise your salary at this time exactly. or whatever and i i think that's what the yes but doesn't allow companies to get to and that's where the employee yeah. then goes, hey, they don't appreciate what I'm doing. They're putting it in the bag uh, and just taking it home with them. I'll just go somewhere else. And exactly, you know. exactly. If if you if I butt you and say I'm sorry, we don't have any cash. Well, that's the end of the conversation. But if I say yes, and we, we're cash constrained, how might we find something that works for you, Ross? What else could mm -hmm. we do? Then I'm opening up possibility, and that's why yes, and is so powerful. Everybody just because it expands possibilities rather than sh shutting them down. And most people don't think like that. Most people right. will, oh, I got to know, or I'm going to say yes, but, but if we allowed for that, mm -hmm. how might we, how might we both win from this? It allows for more possibilities. And that's such a big, big, big difference. Think about what customer service is. I think one of the most right. biggest applications or one of the most overlooked, but important is, is really customer service. If you've had a really crappy experience and you call customer service and somebody says, well, yes, but we can't help you. You're like, well, that's, <laughs> you know, okay, whatever. Click. You suck. I'm going to go right on Yelp. But uh, what if somebody said to you, what if, what the if we warranty's expired? Yeah. Sorry. Hey, hey, you should have called last week. Sorry, sucker. <laughs> right? Exactly. And that's it like, says they last only a year under the warranty. Well, and that's just a horrible thing to do to your customers. But what if instead we said, what if we just said, okay, yes, and I hear what you're saying. You've had a really bad experience. How might we make it better for you? Yes, and I hear you. You're validating the person's frustration or what they're saying. It's so important to make sure that we're heard. You know what it's like to, to feel unheard as a customer. Mm -hmm. Validate what the customer is saying and that and how might we work together? How might we solve it? That's such a way to say, hey, let's work on this together. That language right there is so much better than like 90% of call centers out there or, or customer service centers. That is such a big mind shift. Right. And, I, and I, I will say this to, to anybody who dares take this challenge because I would love for you to get back to me. I really think yes and isn't just about work. It's about your personal life, your relationships. If you can find more, how might we? Let's explore mm -hmm. yes anding with other people. I'm willing to bet you're going to see a big shift in the energy and all your relationships because it's really transformative when people feel heard. Mm -hmm. And that's what most of us just want, right? We want to feel heard. Then you won't want to kill that person. You won't want to kill the person <laughs> in your sleep because, you know, Lord knows I've had motive. I've had opportunity after 18 years that I have not pushed that pillow down on my husband's face. But he hasn't done it to me. And I think that really speaks to love. I think that, that brings you closer to get, Hey, he hasn't. Just, me. I haven't like this, like the church and the steeple. And we're just, we're just, it's like, <laughs> ah! hey, Doug Cohen says, uh, Ali needs to start. Yes. Ending me. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> yeah. And Doug, you need to start yes ending Allie if you're not already doing that. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey Nick. Nick. Thanks for joining us. Um, so when you do uh stand up comedy, how no. much uh how much of your set do you script? How much do you writing goes into it? And um do you sometimes give a, a set that's entirely like what you expected, and then other times you go well, that isn't going to work with this audience after a minute. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to rag on people or I'm just going to yeah. talk about whatever's on my mind, you know, because something happened in the world and I feel like that's, you know, that's on my mind. I can make it funny enough, yeah. but it's, there's a point I want, like talk about how your, your process goes and how, you know, you, you sort of prepare yeah. and then what you use or don't use when you go on stage. I know that's like a 20 part question, uh, but question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, it's a great question because nothing, nothing will prepare <laughs> you for life more than stand up. So that's a great question. So here, here's, um, 
here, here's, here's the way I look at it is that I do prepare. I have what we call a set list and I have my, my arc, my story arc and my, my set list and all the jokes I want to do. But when it, what ends up happening, I'd say probably eight times out of 10 is that I want, I'm, I, I, maybe the audience is low energy or mm-hmm. it happened. I mean, um, gosh, you know, we've had so many shootings and so many tragedies and maybe I have a, a, um, a comedy night that night and people want to laugh, but it's a slow, it's a slow thing because people are all feeling it and you can look around and go, Hey, are we all feeling it? And you know it and, and you have to shift gears. So one of the things that I do is we call it audience work and stand up. It means, Hey, how you doing? How's everybody doing tonight? And I'm just having right. a conversation with the crowd. That's called audience work. It's, I dropped my set list. And I've had some of the best conversations. Like last week, we had a couple um, at my comedy show. Um, they were, they were. Um, the woman was. Uh, she had. She was from Hong Kong, and she just got engaged. Her boyfriend is here mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley, and they couldn't keep their hands off each other. <laughs> and I was. They were just like kissy face throughout the whole show, and like it was just. We teased them, but they had such a great sense of humor about it. We'd stop and we'd just be like, "Hey, everybody! If we stare at them, how long will they notice that we're staring at them? We'll watch them, you know." And then just up, and at one point, because they were so in love, and like right. she was so demure, and I said, "Have you farted in front of each other yet? Has that happened yet? Because you really don't know if you love each other unless that's happened." And the audience lost it, and she was <laughs> laughing, she was cracking up. Now it may sound like something so small, but everybody knows there's that point in your relationship where it's like you just don't care, and it's right. funny. It sounds so small, and but. You know, and maybe it sounds gross to some people, but here's the thing. Everybody, it broke the ice because they were all kissy face and it was, everybody was looking at them and it was, they started cracking up and everybody who's been in a long-term relationship, all the couples in the audience that had been together for 20 years were like, oh my God. And she goes, oh my God, oh my God. And they're like, honey, it's going to happen. And and one one woman sitting next to the couple was so hilarious. They'd been married 30 years. And she turns to the the young couple and she goes, oh, honey, there's going to come a point where your husband's not even going to shut the bathroom door. So just treasure those moments that you get. And it was just hysterical, right? And if you've been married or in a relationship a long time, we just have these moments that are so human. And it sounds so, you know, mundane, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you just have to go there. So yeah, those are the moments where I love the most because by the time I'm ready to do my set list, um, you've already had the audience on your side. They're warmed mm-hmm. up. They're so with you. They're laughing with you. And I don't ever make fun. I'm not, I don't um, pick on anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not mean. The only time I've ever had to do this, and and it's only happened like twice in all my years of standup, is if somebody heckles. If somebody heckles, you know, then I then I will shut them down. And I've I've had to do that, but it's so rare. Um, it's really just more having a fun audience conversation, and people will be part of the joke. I've had people try to finish my jokes. I've had people want to get up there and like, you know, can I tell a joke? And one woman was so passionate. She was so cute. She wanted to get up there and tell a joke. So I gave her part of my time at the mic and she told right. a joke to her friends. And she, it, so just that kind of stuff can just bond you to your audience in ways that are just, it sounds so small, but it's so big. It's so big. Now, do you have, um, I always wonder like, do, and I don't know whether this fits into the, the realm of improv or this is not really improv, but do you have, um, certain things that you could know that you can fall back on? Like, in every yeah. audience, there's going to be a couple that's uh, a little too crazy yeah. about each other. In every audience, there's going to be a couple that's sitting like they don't want to know each other. In every audience, there's going to be a group of out of towners. In every audience, right? And 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 yeah. you know, every show's at night, so that probably lends itself to some stock material. Like, do you have certain things that you know you can bring in where the yeah. audience is going to think, "Oh, you're just you're just riffing on this crowd," but basically. Hey, when I need to pump up the energy or change the energy or, you know, yeah. my set isn't working, I know I have these things I can go to mm-hmm. uh, based on what I'm seeing out there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, everybody loves to laugh at relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every everybody does, um, you know. Um, uh, you know, I don't care. And I've had people who've been in relationships so you know, for such a short time, all the way to, you know, 30, 40 years married. And uh, 
you know, I always talk about there should be term limits. There's term limits in government. Why aren't there term limits in marriage? Why, why, why do we have term limits in relationships? Shouldn't, shouldn't you have to run for re-election? Shouldn't you have to collect signatures? Shouldn't you have to prove your list? And think about, you know, it sounds so goofy, but anybody who's been, if you look, there are just universals among every, mm-hmm. every human relationships, um, work. Uh, a boss situation, your boss, you know, um, having children, um, you know, getting up in the middle of the night, um, all that stuff, um, right. you know, having to stand in line for a, an election, just just whatever it is that are so universal. And, and it goes beyond mm-hmm. political affiliation, Ross. It doesn't matter if you can stick to the universals that make everybody kind of feel connected and, and laugh. Those are a great way to warm up the audience. So, yeah, I always fall back on the things that I know from experience mm-hmm. that everyone's going to laugh at. Um, I also know that I can kind of poke fun at myself because I'm nerdy. And like, I always tell people, hey, look, I'm nerdy. And then the audience kind of looks at me and I'm like, okay, probably I didn't need to announce that. There's nerdy. There's nerdy. Then there's visibly nerdy from the space station. I'm in the latter camp. I get it. I'm nerdosexual. You know, um, I'm looking for, I like I like guys with, you know, with the 401ks and IPOs and friends with benefits packages. That's what I'm all about. And like in you can say those things in Silicon Valley where I live because they're just, you know, it's just everywhere. So, yeah, I, I know the things that every audience laughs at because we're mm-hmm. facing all of those things. Yeah. Now, um, do you, have you ever like travel? Have you traveled the country or done stand up in different different areas of the country? I have. <laughs> how, how are, I mean, you talk yeah. about universal stuff, but are yeah. there certain things that you need to blend in your timing, your style, your material at all when you're on the East Coast from the West Coast, the North from the oh, South, the Midwest? Totally. Like after the election, I well, absolutely. You know, and, and, and look, I've got friends in Florida, nothing personal to Florida. I apologize in advance, but like, if I'm in a Silicon Valley crowd, like after the election, you know, Florida was one of the swing states. And I was like, really, really hanging Chad? Isn't Florida just one giant hanging Chad on, on all of America? Isn't, isn't that what that is? Now, those jokes are funny and I can do them in the United, I can do them here in California. I can do them, you know, in a very blue state. I, I have to, it, it's very different if I go to other places. You're right. Um, I have to just be careful about it. But there, you know, most, here's the thing about it is that there's been times I've been very wrong. I've sort of gone in and thought, well, you know, maybe the humor is different here because of where we are in the country. Now, sometimes I've been right. My gut's right. But sometimes I've been surprisingly wrong. Um, you know, there are places um, where, you know, uh, that I've been in this country that while they're kind of different politically, they're well-educated, they are, you know, they love to laugh, um, they can laugh at themselves. And so I find that even though the politics will change and you gotta be, it's very tricky to to do political jokes, Mm -hmm. uh, the universals don't change, Ross. I mean, I have been in the South making fun of like being married for so long and like the fact that I can reproduce in um, captivity (laughs) and all these things. And and there isn't anybody who, has hasn't been in a long-term relationship i can't laugh at that so i very there's more things that i think people laugh at in common than don't laugh at but i do think these things through i really do i think who's my audience mm-hmm. what's the nature of you know maybe um where i am in the country can i say right. that um, sometimes i'm right sometimes i'm wrong um, but you get a good sense for uh, just you, what's universal a human truth. I guess when you get out of Silicon Valley, some of the IPO jokes and tech jokes and stuff aren't gonna. It's not a common language, right? In the in you know, the crowd in the rest of the country. It is. It isn't. But I did a swipe left and a swipe right joke um, about. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, and, and I was in the South and they were cracking up. Well, they swipe um, down there too. I they mean. do. And so it's like, you know, they're tech savvy. They're, they're not, human too. They're human too, right? So the tech, <laughs> they, look, I mean, that's, that's my point is like, they're tech savvy and there's a lot of places outside. But yeah, the IPO jokes might not fly, but mm-hmm. the tech stuff still, there's a lot of millennials and they'll come see the show and they get it. They're all, you know, they're, they're, you know, on these dating app sites, they get it. They totally get it, you know? So, you know, you start making jokes about LinkedIn. What, what, what would happen if LinkedIn, LinkedIn met match.com, you know, you know, kinkedin.com, linkedup.com. So, you know what I mean? And 
swipe. It's like, could you do that with your employers? Like, just swipe right and swipe left on people on LinkedIn. Can't we just have a common metaphor? What it, would it, be it, wrong it, with that, yeah. actually? I mean, you learn more about somebody from their LinkedIn profile than you do from anything else, right? You learn where they went to school, who they know in common. I think we should date off of our LinkedIn profiles. I think that should be the dating. (laughs) How much money is this person probably going to make? I mean, those are things that, yeah, totally right. Those are universals that no matter where where I'm doing a joke, that the laughter is pretty much consistent because everybody gets the metaphor. Um, it's just, it's just, you have to watch some of the, some of the really colloquial things that are really mm-hmm. specific, but honestly, there's more in common. We have more in common across these different areas of the United States. And we laugh at a lot of the same things. Mm. That's why it's yeah. kind of a shame that we're so divided. It is very ways. much a shame. It's very much a shame. Yeah. So this has been a blast. Um, what do you, what do you have coming up next? Anything you're new you're working on or anything you, you know, um, we should check out and we should, uh, how can we support you and, and yeah. continue following you and, and the great stuff that you're doing? Yeah, no, I appreciate that so much. Um, well, you know, you can always check out the book. Stop boring me. I, 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 <laughs> I, I want to just again, bring up if you, if you're really interested in, in business storytelling and coming up with new ideas for content, that's the book for you. And here's the thing. Um, it's applied improv. You don't have to be a comic. It's not about being funny. Improv is not about being funny. It's about being real, showing up and being real and, and being a truth teller and, and being willing to disrupt patterns. So there's that. The other thing is I'm getting ready to start writing um, my, my uh, or I've started writing, but I'm getting ready to announce sort of more about my, my next book. Um, so stay tuned for that. If you want to follow me at, at Kathy Cloats guest on Twitter, you know, you can, you can check that out too. So, so yeah. So thank you so much. This has been a blast, as always. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick and Sarah and Doug and Jeff and everybody who joined us, Claudia, Brad Friedman, uh, Mitch, uh, Anthony, Jessica, Mia, Michael Campbell, Fernando Ramirez, RJ Redden, and even the people who didn't throw a comment in the chat, we thank you too. And please, if you haven't done so, do share this out and let people know uh, that they can come find the replay. Thanks so much, Mm -hmm. Jeff, for the uh, compliment. And I will be back on Monday night with another episode of Livestream Stars. Uh, And also tomorrow night, we have the Best of Be Live, 8 p.m., Easter, Rachel Moore, and I will be presenting two new nominations for the best of Be Live. Have a great night, everybody.